Section 95 of the Book of Household Management. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sarah Jennings. The Book of Household Management by Isabella Beaton. Domestic Servants. Chapter 41. Part 3. Duties of the Valet. Attendance on the Person. No man is a hero to his valet saith the proverb, and the corollary may run, No lady is a heroine to her maid. The infirmities of humanity are perhaps too numerous and too equally distributed to stand the severe microscopic tests which attendants on the person have opportunities of applying. The valet and waiting-maid are placed near the persons of the master and mistress, receiving orders only from them, dressing them, accompanying them in all their journeys, the confidants and agents of their most unguarded moments, of their most secret habits, and of course subject to their commands, even to their caprices, they themselves being subject to erring judgment, aggravated by an imperfect education. All that can be expected from such servants is polite manners, modest demeanour, and a respectful reserve, which are indispensable. To these, good sense, good temper, some self-denial, and consideration for the feelings of others, whether above or below them in the social scale, will be useful qualifications. Their duty leads them to wait on those who are, from sheer wealth, station, and education, more polished, and consequently more susceptible of annoyance, and any vulgar familiarity of manner is opposed to all their notions of self-respect. Quiet, unobtrusive manners, therefore, and a delicate reserve in speaking of their employers, either in praise or blame, is as essential in their absence as good manners and respectful conduct in their presence. Some of the duties of the valet we have just hinted at in treating of the duties of the footman in a small family. His day commences by seeing that his master's dressing-room is in order, that the housemaid has swept and dusted it properly, that the fire is lighted and burns cheerfully, and some time before his master is expected, he will do well to throw up the sash to admit fresh air, closing it, however, in time to recover the temperature which he knows his master prefers. It is now his duty to place the body linen on the horse before the fire, to be aired properly, to lay the trousers intended to be worn, carefully brushed and cleaned, on the back of his master's chair, while the coat and waistcoat, carefully brushed and folded, and the collar cleaned, are laid in their place ready to put on when required. All the articles of the toilet should be in their places, the razors properly set and stropped, and hot water ready for their use. Gentlemen generally prefer performing the operation of shaving themselves, but a valet should be prepared to do it if required, and he should besides be a good hairdresser. Shaving over, he has to brush the hair, beard, and moustache where that appendage is encouraged, arranging the whole simply and gracefully, according to the age and style of countenance. Every fortnight or three weeks at the utmost, the hair should be cut, and the points of the whiskers trimmed as often as required. A good valet will now present the various articles of the toilet as they are wanted. Afterwards, the body linen, necktie, which he will put on if required, and afterwards waistcoat, coat, and boots, in suitable order, and carefully brushed and polished. Having thus seen his master dressed, if he is about to go out, the valet will hand him his cane, gloves, and hat, the latter well brushed on the outside with a soft brush, and wiped inside with a clean handkerchief, 
respectfully attend him to the door, and open it for him, and receive his last orders for the day. He now proceeds to put everything in order in the dressing-room, cleans the combs and brushes, and brushes and folds up any clothes that may be left about the room, and puts them away in the drawers. Gentlemen are sometimes indifferent as to their clothes and appearance. It is the valet's duty in this case, where his master permits it, to select from the wardrobe such things as are suitable for the occasion, so that he may appear with scrupulous neatness and cleanliness. That his linen and necktie, where that is white or coloured, are unsoiled, and where he is not accustomed to change them every day, that the cravat is turned, or even ironed, to remove the crease of the previous fold. The coat-collar, which where the hair is oily and worn long is apt to get greasy, should also be examined. A careful valet will correct this by removing the spots day by day as they appear, first by moistening the grease spots with a little rectified spirits of wine or spirits of hartshorn, which has a renovating effect, and the smell of which soon disappears. The grease is dissolved and removed by gentle scraping. The grease removed, add a little more of the spirit, and rub with a piece of clean cloth. Finish by adding a few drops more. Rub it with the palm of the hand, in the direction of the grain of the cloth, and it will be clean and glossy as the rest of the garment. Polish for the boots is an important matter to the valet, and not always to be obtained good by purchase, never so good, perhaps, as he can make for himself after the following recipes. Take of ivory black and treacle, each four ounces, sulfuric acid, one ounce, best olive oil, two spoonfuls, best white wine vinegar, three half pints. Mix the ivory black and treacle well in an earthen jar, then add the sulfuric acid, continuing to stir the mixture. Next, pour in the oil, and lastly, add the vinegar, stirring it in by degrees, until thoroughly incorporated. Another polish is made by mixing one ounce each of pounded galls and logwood chips, and three pounds of red French vin ordinaire. Boil together till the liquid is reduced to half the quantity, and pour it off through a strainer. Now take half pound each of pounded gum arabic and lump sugar, one ounce of green copperas, and three pounds of brandy. Dissolve the gum arabic in the preceding decoction, and add the sugar and copperas. When all is dissolved and mixed together, stir in the brandy, mixing it smoothly. This mixture will yield five or six pounds of a very superior polishing paste for boots and shoes. It is perhaps unnecessary to add that having discharged all the commissions entrusted to him by his master, such as conveying notes or messages to friends or to the tradesmen, all of which he should punctually and promptly attend to, it is his duty to be in waiting when his master returns home to dress for dinner, or for any other occasion, and to have all things prepared for this second dressing. Previous to this, he brings under his notice the cards of visitors who may have called, delivers the messages he may have received for him, and otherwise acquits himself of the morning's commissions, and receives his orders for the remainder of the day. The routine of his evening duty is to have the dressing-room and study, where there is a separate one, arranged comfortably for his master, the fires lighted, candles prepared, dressing-gown and slippers in their place, and aired, and everything in order that is required for his master's comforts. FEMALE DOMESTICS DUTIES OF THE LADIES' MAID the duties of a lady's maid are more numerous, and perhaps more onerous, than those of the valet. 
for well the latter is aided by the tailor, the hatter, the linen draper, and the perfumer, the lady's maid has to originate many parts of the mistress's dress herself. She should indeed be a tolerably expert milliner and dressmaker, a good hairdresser, and possess some chemical knowledge of the cosmetics with which the toilet table is supplied, in order to use them with safety and effect. Her first duty in the morning, after having performed her own toilet, is to examine the clothes put off by her mistress the evening before, either to put them away, or to see that they are all in order to be put on again. During the winter, and in wet weather, the dresses should be carefully examined, and the mud removed. Dresses of tweed and other woolen materials may be laid out on a table and brushed all over, but in general, even in woolen fabrics, the lightness of the tissues renders brushing unsuitable to dresses, and it is better to remove the dust from the folds by beating them lightly with a handkerchief or thin cloth. Silk dresses should never be brushed, but rubbed with a piece of merino or other soft material, of a similar color, kept for the purpose. Dresses of barege, muslin, mohair, or other light materials simply require shaking, but if the muslin be tumbled, it must be ironed afterwards. If the dresses require slight repair, it should be done at once. A stitch in time saves nine. The bonnet should be dusted with a light feather plume, in order to remove every particle of dust, but this has probably been done, as it ought to have been, the night before. Velvet bonnets, and other velvet articles of dress, should be cleaned with a soft brush. If the flowers with which the bonnet is decorated have been crushed or displaced, or the leaves tumbled, they should be raised and readjusted by means of flower pliers. If feathers have suffered from damp, they should be held near the fire for a few minutes, and restored to their natural state by the hand or a soft brush. The chaussery, or footgear of a lady, is one of the few things left to mark her station, and requires special care. Satin boots or shoes should be dusted with a soft brush, or wiped with a cloth. Kid or varnished leather should have the mud wiped off with a sponge charged with milk, which preserves its softness and polish. The following is also an excellent polish for applying to ladies' boots, instead of blacking them. Mix equal proportions of sweet oil, vinegar, and treacle, with one ounce of lamp black. When all the ingredients are thoroughly incorporated, rub the mixture on the boots with the palm of the hand, and put them in a cool place to dry. Ladies' blacking, which may be purchased in sixpence and one shilling bottles, is also very much used for patent leather and kid boots, particularly when they are a little worn. This blacking is merely applied with a piece of sponge, and the boots should not be put on until the blacking is dry and hardened. These various preliminary offices performed, the lady's maid should prepare for dressing her mistress, arranging her dressing-room, toilet-table, and linen, according to her mistress's wishes and habits. The details of dressing we need not touch upon. Every lady has her own mode of doing so. But the maid should move about quietly, perform any offices about her mistress's person, as lacing stays, gently, and adjust her linen smoothly. Having prepared the dressing-room by lighting the fire, sweeping the hearth, and made everything ready for dressing her mistress, placed her linen before the fire to air, and laid out the various articles of dress she is to wear, which will probably have been arranged the previous evening, the lady's maid is prepared for the morning duties. 
Hairdressing is the most important part of the lady's maid's office. If ringlets are worn, remove the curl papers, and after thoroughly brushing the back hair both above and below, dress it according to the prevailing fashion. If bandeau are worn, the hair is thoroughly brushed and frizzed outside and inside, folding the hair back round the head, brushing it perfectly smooth, giving it a glossy appearance by the use of pomades or oil applied by the palm of the hand, smoothing it down with a small brush dipped in bandoline. Double bandeaux are formed by bringing most of the hair forward and rolling it over frisettes made of hair the same color as that of the wearer. It is finished behind by plaiting the hair and arranging it in such a manner as to look well with the headdress. Lessons in hairdressing may be obtained, and at not an unreasonable charge. If a lady's maid can afford it, we would advise her to initiate herself in the mysteries of hairdressing before entering on her duties. If a mistress finds her maid handy and willing to learn, she will not mind the expense of a few lessons, which are almost necessary, as the fashion and mode of dressing the hair is so continually changing. Brushes and combs should be kept scrupulously clean, by washing them about twice a week. To do this oftener spoils the brushes, as very frequent washing makes them so very soft. To wash brushes. Dissolve a piece of soda in some hot water, allowing a piece the size of a walnut to a quart of water. Put the water into a basin, and after combing out the hair from the brushes, dip them bristles downwards into the water and out again, keeping the backs and handles as free from the water as possible. Repeat this until the bristles look clean, then rinse the brushes in a little cold water. Shake them well, and wipe the handles and backs with a towel, but not the bristles, and set the brushes to dry in the sun or near the fire, but take care not to put them too close to it. Wiping the bristles of a brush makes them soft, as does also the use of soap. To clean combs. If it can be avoided, never wash combs as the water often makes the teeth split, and the tortoise-shell or horn of which they are made rough. Small brushes, manufactured purposefully for cleaning combs, may be purchased at a trifling cost. With this the comb should be well brushed, and afterwards wiped with a cloth or towel. A good wash for the hair. Ingredients. One pennyworth of borax, half pint of olive oil, one pint of boiling water. Mode. Pour the boiling water over the borax and oil. Let it cool. Then put the mixture into a bottle. Shake it before using, and apply it with a flannel. Camphor and borax, dissolved in boiling water and left to cool, make a very good wash for the hair, as also does rosemary water mixed with a little borax. After using any of these washes, when the hair becomes thoroughly dry, a little pomatum or oil should be rubbed in, to make it smooth and glossy. To make pomade for the hair. Ingredients. A quarter pound of lard, two pennyworth of castor oil, scent. Mode. Let the lard be unsalted. Beat it up well, then add the castor oil, and mix thoroughly together with a knife, adding a few drops of any scent that may be preferred. Pour the pomatum into pots, which keep well covered to prevent it turning rancid. Another recipe for pomatum. Ingredients. 8 ounces of olive oil, 1 ounce of spermaceti, 3 pennyworth of essential oil of almonds, 3 pennyworth of essence of lemon. Mode. 
Mix these ingredients together, and store away in jars for use. To make bandoline. Ingredients. One ounce of gum tragacanth, quarter pint of cold water, three pennyworth of essence of almonds, two teaspoonfuls of old rum. Mode. Put the gum tragacanth into a wide mouth bottle with the cold water. Let it stand till dissolved, then stir into it the essence of almonds. Let it remain for an hour or two, when pour the rum on top. This should make the stock bottle, and when any is required for use, it is merely necessary to dilute it with a little cold water, until the desired consistency is obtained, and to keep it in a small bottle, well corked, for use. This bandoline, instead of injuring the hair, as many other kinds often do, improves it by increasing its growth and making it always smooth and glossy. An excellent pomatum. Ingredients. One and a half pounds of lard, half pint of olive oil, half pint of castor oil, four ounces of spermaceti, bergamot, or any other scent, elderflower water. Mode. Wash the lard well in the elderflower water. Drain and beat it to a cream. Mix the two oils together, and heat them sufficiently to dissolve the spermaceti, which should be beaten fine in a mortar. Mix all these ingredients together with the brandy, and whatever kind of scent may be preferred, and whilst warm, pour into glass bottles for use, keeping them well corked. The best way to liquefy the pomatum is to set the bottle in a saucepan of warm water. It will remain good for many months. To promote the growth of hair. Ingredients. Equal quantities of olive oil and spirit of rosemary. A few drops of oil of nutmeg. Mode. Mix the ingredients together. Rub the roots of the hair every night with a little of this liniment, and the growth of it will very soon sensibly increase. Our further remarks on dressing must be confined to some general advice. In putting on a band, see that it is laid quite flat, and is drawn tightly round the waist before it is pinned in front that the pin is a strong one, and that it is secured to the stays, so as not to slip up or down, or crease in the folds. Arrange the folds of the dress over the crinoline petticoats. If the dress fastens behind, put a small pin in the slit to prevent it from opening. See that the sleeves fall well over the arms. If it is finished with a jacket or other upper dress, see that it fits smoothly under the arms pull out the flounces, and spread out the petticoat at the bottom with the hands, so that it falls in graceful folds. In arranging the petticoat itself, a careful lady's maid will see that this is firmly fastened round the waist. Where sashes are worn, pin the bows securely on the inside with a pin, so as not to be visible, then raise the bow with the fingers. The collar is arranged and carefully adjusted with brooch or bow in the centre. Having dressed her mistress for breakfast, and breakfasted herself, the further duties of the lady's maid will depend altogether upon the habits of the family, in which hardly two will probably agree. Where the duties are entirely confined to attendance on her mistress, it is probable that the bedroom and dressing-room will be committed to her care, that the housemaid will rarely enter, except for the weekly or other periodical cleaning. She will therefore have to make her mistress's bed, and keep it in order and as her duties are light and easy, there can be no allowance made for the slightest approach to uncleanliness or want of order. Every morning, immediately after her mistress has left it, and well breakfast is on, she should throw the bed open, by taking off the clothes, 
open the windows, except in rainy weather, and leave the room to air for half an hour. After breakfast, except her attendance on her mistress prevents it, if the rooms are carpeted, she should sweep them carefully, having previously strewed the room with moist tea-leaves, dusting every table and chair, taking care to penetrate to every corner, and moving every article of furniture that is portable. This done satisfactorily, and having cleaned the dressing-glass, polished up the furniture and the ornaments, and made the glass-jug and basin clean and bright, emptied all slops, emptied the water-jugs and filled them with fresh water, and arranged the rooms, the dressing-room is ready for the mistress when she thinks proper to appear. The dressing-room thoroughly in order, the same thing is to be done in the bedroom, in which she will probably be assisted by the housemaid to make the bed and empty the slops. In making the bed she will study her lady's wishes, whether it is to be hard or soft, sloping or straight, and see that it is done accordingly. Having swept the bedroom with equal care, dusted the tables and chairs, chimney ornaments, and put away all articles of dress left from yesterday, and cleaned and put away any articles of jewellery, her next care is to see, before her mistress goes out, what requires replacing in her department, and furnish her with a list of them, that she may use her discretion about ordering them. All this done, she may settle herself down to any work on which she is engaged. This will consist chiefly in mending, which is first to be seen to, everything except stockings being mended before washing. Plain work will probably be one of the lady's maid's chief employments. A waiting maid who wishes to make herself useful will study the fashion books with attention, so as to be able to aid her mistress's judgment in dressing according to the prevailing fashion, with such modifications as her style of countenance requires. She will also, if she has her mistress's interest at heart, employ her spare time in repairing and making up dresses which have served one purpose to serve another also, or turning many things unfitted for her mistress to use for the younger branches of the family. The lady's maid may thus render herself invaluable to her mistress, and increase her own happiness in so doing. The exigencies of fashion and luxury are such that all ladies, except those of the very highest rank, will consider themselves fortunate in having about them a thoughtful person, capable of diverting their finery to a useful purpose. Among other duties, the lady's maid should understand the various processes for washing and cleaning and repairing laces, edging of collars, removing stains and grease spots from dresses, and similar processes, for which the following recipes will be found useful. In washing, blonde, fine toilet soap is used. The blonde is soaped over very slightly, and washed in water in which a little fig blue is dissolved, rubbing it very gently. When clean, dry it. Dip it afterwards in very thin gum water, dry it again in linen, spread it out as flat as it will lie, and iron it. Where the blonde is of better quality, and wider, it may be stretched on a hoop to dry after washing in the blue water, applying the gum with a sponge or it may be washed finally in water in which a lump of sugar has been dissolved, which gives it more the appearance of a new blonde. Lace collars soil very quickly when in contact with the neck. They are cleaned by beating the edge of the collar between the folds of a fine linen cloth, then washing the edges as directed above, and spreading it out on an ironing board, pinning it at each corner with fine pins, 
then going carefully over it with a sponge charged with water in which some gum-dragon and fig-blue have been dissolved, to give it a proper consistence. To give the collar the same tint throughout, the whole collar should be sponged with the same water, taking care not to touch the flowers. A multiplicity of accidents occur to soil and spot dresses, which should be removed at once. To remove grease spots, from cotton or woolen materials of fast colors, absorbent pastes, purified bullock's blood, or even common soap are used, applied to the spot when dry. When the colors are not fast, use fuller's earth or pulverized potter's clay, laid in a layer over the spot, and press it with a very hot iron. For silks, moires, and plain or brocaded satins, begin by pouring over the spot two drops of rectified spirits of wine. Cover it over with a linen cloth and press it with a hot iron, changing the linen instantly. The spot will look tarnished, for a portion of the grease still remains. This will be removed entirely by a little sulfuric, either dropped on the spot or a very little rubbing. If neatly done, no perceptible mark or circle will remain nor will the luster of the richest silk be changed, the union of the two liquids operating with no injurious effects from rubbing. Fruit spots are removed from white and fast-colored cottons by the use of chloride of soda. Commence by cold-soaping the article, then touch the spot with a hair pencil or feather dipped in the chloride, dipping it immediately into cold water, to prevent the texture of the article being injured. Ink spots are removed when fresh applied to the spot by a few drops of hot water being poured on immediately afterwards. By the same process, iron mould in linen or calico may be removed, dipping immediately in cold water to prevent injury to the fabric. Wax dropped on a shawl, table cover, or cloth dress is easily discharged by applying spirits of wine. Syrups or preserved fruits by washing in lukewarm water with a dry cloth, and pressing the spot between two folds of clean linen. Essence of lemon will remove grease, but will make a spot itself in a few days. To clean silk or ribbons. Ingredients. Half pint of gin, half pound of honey, half pound of soft soap, half pint of water. Mode. Mix the above ingredients together. Then lay each breadth of silk upon a clean kitchen table or dresser, and scrub it well on the soiled side with the mixture. Have ready three vessels of cold water. Take each piece of silk at two corners, and dip it up and down in each vessel, but do not wring it, and take care that each breadth has one vessel of quite clean water for the last dip. Hang it up dripping for a minute or two, then dab it in a cloth, and iron it quickly with a very hot iron. To remove paint spots from silk cloth. If the fabric will bear it, sharp rubbing will frequently entirely discharge a newly made paint stain, but if this is not successful, apply spirit of turpentine with a quill till the stains disappear. To make old crepe look nearly equal to new. Place a little water in a tea kettle, and let it boil until there is plenty of steam from the spout. Then, holding the crepe in both hands, pass it to and fro several times through the steam, and it will be clean and look nearly to new. Linen Before sending linen to wash, the lady's maid should see that everything under her charge is properly mended, 
for her own sake she should take care that it is sent out in an orderly manner, each class of garments by themselves, with a proper list, of which she retains a copy. On its return it is still more necessary to examine every piece separately, so that all missing buttons be supplied, and only the articles properly washed and in perfect repair passed on to the wardrobe. Ladies who keep a waiting-maid for their own persons are in the habit of paying visits to their friends, in which it is not unusual for the maid to accompany them. At all events it is her duty to pack the trunks, and this requires not only knowledge but some practice, although the improved trunks and portmanteaus now made, in which there is a place for nearly everything, render this more simple than formerly. Before packing, let the trunks be thoroughly well cleaned, and if necessary lined with paper and everything intended for packing laid out on the bed or chairs, so that it may be seen what is to be stowed away. The nicer articles of dress neatly folded in clean calico wrappers. Having satisfied herself that everything wanted is laid out, and that it is in perfect order, the packing is commenced by disposing of the most bulky articles, the dressing-case and work-box, skirts, and other articles requiring room, leaving the smaller articles to fill up. Finally, having satisfied herself that all is included, she should lock and cover up the trunk in its canvas case, and then pack her own box if she is to accompany her mistress. On reaching the house, the lady's maid will be shown her lady's apartment, and the duties here are what they were at home. She will arrange her mistress's things, and learn which is her bell in order to go to her when she rings. Her meals will be taken in the housekeeper's room, and here she must be discreet and guarded in her talk to any one of her mistress or her concerns. Her only occupation here will be attending in her lady's room, keeping her things in order, and making her rooms comfortable for her. The evening duties of a lady's maid are pretty nearly a repetition of those of the morning. She is in attendance when her mistress retires, she assists her to undress if required, brushes her hair, and renders such other assistance as is demanded removes all slops, takes care that the fire, if any, is safe, before she retires to rest herself. Ironing is a part of the duties of a lady's maid, and she should be able to do it in the most perfect manner when it becomes necessary. Ironing is often badly done from inattention to a few very simple requirements. Cleanliness is the first essential. The ironing board, the fire, the iron, and the ironing blanket should all be perfectly clean. It will not be necessary here to enter into details on ironing, as full directions are given in the duties of the laundry-maid. A lady's maid will have a great deal of ironing out to do, such as light evening dresses, muslin dresses, etc., which are not dirty enough to be washed, but merely require smoothing out to remove the creases. In summer, particularly, an iron will be constantly required, as also a skirt-board, which should be covered with a nice clean piece of flannel. To keep muslin dresses in order, they almost require smoothing out every time they are worn, particularly if made with many flounces. The lady's maid may often have to perform little services for her mistress which require care, such as restoring the colour to scorched linen, etc., etc. The following recipe is, we believe, a very good one. To restore whiteness to scorched linen. Ingredients. Half pint of vinegar, two ounces of fuller's earth, one ounce of dried fowl's dung, half ounce of soap, the juice of two large onions. Mode. Boil all these ingredients together to the consistency of paste. 
spread the composition thickly over the damaged part, and if the threads be not actually consumed, after it has been allowed to dry on, and the place has subsequently been washed once or twice, every trace of scorching will disappear. Furs, feathers, and woolens require the constant care of the waiting maid. Furs and feathers not in constant use should be wrapped up in linen washed in lye. From May to September, they are subject to being made the depository of the moth-eggs. They should be looked to and shaken and beaten from time to time, in case some of the eggs should have been lodged in them, in spite of every precaution. Laying them up again, or rather folding them up as before, wrapping them in brown paper, which is itself a preservative. Shawls and cloaks, which would be damaged by such close folds, must be looked to and aired and beaten, putting them away dry before the evening. Preservatives against the ravages of moths. Place pieces of camphor, cedar wood, russia leather, tobacco leaves, bog myrtle, or anything else strongly aromatic, in the drawers or boxes where furs or other things to be preserved from moths are kept, and they will never take harm. Jewels are generally wrapped up in cotton, and kept in their cases, but they are subject to tarnish from exposure to the air, and require cleaning. This is done by preparing clean soap suds, using fine toilet soap. Dip any article of gold, silver, gilt, or precious stones into this lye, and dry them by brushing with a brush of soft badger's hair, or a fine sponge, afterwards with a piece of fine cloth, and lastly with a soft leather. Epaulettes of gold or silver, and in general all articles of jewellery, may be dressed by dipping them in spirits of wine warmed in a bain-marie, or shallow kettle, and placed over a slow fire or hot plate. The valet and lady's maid, from their supposed influence with their master and mistress, are exposed to some temptations to which other servants are less subjected. They are probably in communication with the tradespeople who supply articles for the toilet, such as hatters, tailors, dressmakers, and perfumers. The conduct of waiting-maid and valet to these people should be civil but independent, making reasonable allowance for want of exact punctuality, if any such can be made. They should represent any inconvenience respectfully, and if an excuse seems unreasonable, put the matter fairly to master or mistress, leaving it to them to notice it further, if they think it necessary. No expectations of a personal character should influence them one way or the other. It would be acting unreasonably to any domestic to make them refuse such presents as tradespeople choose to give them. The utmost that can be expected is that they should not influence their judgment in the articles supplied, that they should represent them truly to master or mistress, without fear and without favour. Civility to all, servility to none, is a good maxim for every one. Deference to a master and mistress, and to their friends and visitors, is one of the implied terms of their engagement, and this deference must apply even to what may be considered their whims. A servant is not to be seated, or wear a hat in the house, in his master's or mistress's presence, nor offer any opinion unless asked for it, nor even to say good night or good morning, except in reply to that salutation. To preserve cut flowers. A bouquet of freshly cut flowers may be preserved alive for a long time by placing them in a glass or vase with fresh water in which a little charcoal has been steeped, or a small piece of camphor dissolved. 
the vase should be set upon a plate or dish, and covered with a bell-glass, around the edges of which, when it comes in contact with the plate, a little water should be poured to exclude the air. To revive cut flowers after packing. Plunge the stems into boiling water, and by the time the water is cold the flowers will have revived. Then cut afresh the ends of the stems, and keep them in fresh cold water. End of section 95